What's up, everybody? Welcome to Call to the Bullpen. I'm David Payne with Brad Zampar and Jimmy Miller. Let's play ball. Good morning, fellas. How's it going? We're going to start with a brand new City Connect that just dropped. The Milwaukee Brewers dropped their City Connect jerseys. And I'm, I'm kind of torn. I really, really love how the jersey looks. I think that the brew crew on the chest is awesome. Uh, I think that the hat is super busy. It's got the MKE, um, which is the airport in Milwaukee. And it's also got 414 on it and like black behind that. Um, and, and to me, it comes off as clunky. I didn't know that it was 414, which is the, um, what was that, the area code and a phone number. I didn't know that it said 414 until it was explained on Twitter. Um, so I think that if I need it explained to me, then it's probably not all that great design. And I think that the hat drags the, the whole uniform down. I'm also not sure exactly how it connects to the city of Milwaukee. I saw that the text is supposed to look industrial, um, but I, I don't really get it. But I think they're really good looking. I think they're really clean, like as far as the jersey goes. Um, but I feel like I'm missing that actual city connection. Um, but did you guys get a chance to see them? And what are your thoughts on them? Uh, maybe give me a grade one through 10. Yeah, I, I like the color and I, I, I did like the jersey a lot. Like you said, the hat was a little busy. I think maybe if it would have went with like a more like diagonal, like the MKE instead of straight across and all big font uh, would have been better. But I'd, I'd say it's probably a seven, three out of 10 because the hat really drags it down. Like the uni to me is like a nine, but the hat's like a six. Yeah, if Nike gave a shit at all about MLB, then they would be dropping these uniforms and they would just all be sick. But it seems like with every single one, there's always an issue with it. And it's it's kind of disappointing as, as maybe not even a baseball fan, but like as a Jersey guy, like always seeing these uniforms being messed up. But I mean, their their jerseys are right. It's, it's, it's nothing crazy. That hat is just so pitiful. But as an overall grade, I'd probably give it like a six. I think the frustrating thing is that they're always right there. Like, it's always one thing that they do to try to do too much that ruins it. Like, with the, the White Sox one that we talked about, like, the shy on the hat, it just didn't mesh with the jersey. It just didn't go together. Uh, and I think that uh, I really love the baseball patch, the, the grill baseball patch on the sleeve of the Brewers ones. I really love the way that they're always creative with their logos. You know, the MB is a baseball glove and a, a baseball on their hat and you know this is a grill and a baseball together if that was the hat logo we're looking at a 9.5 here but i'm i'm with jim in like a 7.3 to 7.6 range at the best um and i but i i still think that they might slot into the top five considering the way that the other ones have looked um so i'll, I'll give them a top five on it but i feel like i'm lacking that city connection and i also feel like we're lacking the representation of beer and all of their jerseys throughout history. And I'm not sure what the rules are about them actually showing beer. Uh, they've had wheat. They've had the barrel man. Um, they have socks for sale in their team store, I saw, because there was all the pictures of the jerseys in the team store. That's how they got leaked. And they have these stance socks that, you know, your, your calf is shaped 
the same way that a beer glass is shaped. If that, that's a weird thing to say, but it's true. And it looks like a, your calf is a beer glass. The, the sock is like, you know, it's got the ale going up with some bubbles in it. And then it's got the foam on the top, right where the pant meets the, the sock. And it's really cool. And if they use something like that on the field, it's really connected. So Brewers, Milwaukee, the only place that could sell alcohol during prohibition. And they really missed that connection there. And that's frustrating. But uh, we'll see what, what the next one's bring and if they can eventually get one perfectly right. Now, speaking of a, a debate that in the eyes of uh, uh, kind of everyone, nobody is, is perfectly right on, let's examine the AL MVP race because we're going to have another awards power rankings coming up in about a week and a half. And we have some decisions to make when it comes time for us to vote. Um, and that decision is going to be between uh, at the top, two candidates have really set themselves apart from the rest of the pack, and that's Jose Ramirez and Aaron Judge. Um, Aaron Judge on pace for 65 home runs. Jose Ramirez on pace for 175 RBIs. The question is, which one of those, uh, you know, at the end of the season, if they're both reached, would, would win the MVP award? And here's my take. There have been guys very recently... One is on the Yankees with Aaron Judge, who have pushed for 60 home runs, right? In what year was that? 2016, where he, where Stanton went 59? I think it might have been 17. 17. Whatever year, 16 or 17. Whatever year the All-Star game was in Miami, he, he pushed for, for uh, 60 there. We've had guys hit 60 uh, within the last 25, 30 years. Uh Nobody has reached the 175 or even 160 RBI plateau in almost 100 years. It, the, the last one to hit 175 was in 1938 um, before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. I, I mean, we know we count Babe Ruth's home run records. We count the records before that because it was Major League Baseball, but uh, we count them with a grain of salt, considering the fact that it was an entirely different league, entirely different game at that point. So this would be like in the modern era, the most RBIs uh, by quite a long shot. And, and to me, something that rare, you know, we saw last year, Vlad Jr. had an amazing season, but Shohei was something so rare and that kind of wins out. So uh, I'm kind of leaning towards the 175 RBIs winning the MVP over 65 home runs. But I'm curious to see what, what you're getting. I'm, I'm not saying that that's who... I'm going to vote for in July. I'm not saying that's who is at the top of my July power rankings. I'm saying at the end of the season, if that is the case, then I would probably lean J-Ram. But I'm curious to see what you guys think.
Yeah, I mean, you look at Pete Alonso. I think he has one more RBI than J Ram. So if if Pete could break the RBI uh, the same year that J Ram does as well, I think that kind of takes some of the like I don't, I don't want to say like credibility out of the race, but I, I think that if if Pete's able to to break that uh, you know 175 and J Ram does it too, I think it 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 kind of takes away the history of it. But um, I think if Judge can reach 60 home runs. His RBI totals are pretty low for his home runs. Um, but I, I like J-Ram in the second half, and I, I think that he could really pull away with it. He's Historically, I don't really think he's had great first halves. He's always turned it up in the second half, especially the, like the last month of the season. So I think uh, Judge might be my favorite now, but I think looking to the second half, you know, historically J-Ram is very good. So I'd, I'd probably take J-Ram to win it this year. Yeah. <clears throat> with, uh, with Even with Alonzo and – judge both those guys having great years i think the team that ramirez is on to like where he's hitting in that lineup there's there's not many pieces in cleveland and on the offense at least and if he can get that 175 even if he pushes over 160 like the the hasn't been done in 100 years it's going to be very tough for somebody to say no you don't deserve that because both the judge is going to be on 110 win team and Ramirez, he might be on a team that plays less than 500 ball or, or right around it at the end of the year. So obviously he's going to have to do something amazing like the RBI total for him to be able to win that award at the end. So I, I got a couple of thoughts here. One is that if Alonzo and Ramirez both break the record, they're both the MVPs. And the other is that the with this new third wild card, there's potential that, you know, right now the, the Guardians are sitting at a 550 winning percentage. Um, they're six games over 500. There's potential that a month from now they are buyers and that they are bringing in more offensive pieces that are going to even catapult J Rams numbers even more. I mean, he's already putting up an insane RBI numbers on a team that is only six games over 500 at this point. So you add another impact bat or two, you really got to pitch to J-Ram, no way to pitch around him, maybe has some more guys on base for him, um, but that could also have an adverse effect. And also, you know, you bring in an impact bat and they're hitting in runs that J-Ram would have had the opportunity to hit in before. So you can look at it uh, both ways there. Uh, now let's, let's stick with that division and let's talk about uh, the Motor City Madness. The, the Tigers are falling apart right now. Uh, they were. This was not supposed to be a compete year for them, but it was definitely supposed to be a kind of turning of the tides year, um, similar to what the Orioles are, are looking for this year. And uh, the Orioles are doing it better, right? We kind of coming into the season thought that the Tigers might be a year ahead of the Orioles in that whole rebuild phase, you know, going out and, and bringing in Erod while bringing in Javi, willing, showing that they're willing to make a free agent splash, whereas the O's quite haven't reached that yet. And we're looking ahead to this offseason for that. Um, but this is, has not been what the Tigers thought this year was going to be. Honestly, they're in a six-game losing skid right now. Erod is not going to be returning to the team for mystery reasons. There was just a, a closed-door, hour-plus-long team meeting um, where supposedly things didn't get all that heated. Um, and some former Tigers players spoke out about that and said that you know, Jim Leland would not have stood for this shit. Um, and that former Tigers players kind of questioning AJ Hinch's leadership there. Um, are we worried? Are we, you know, there's lots of teams that have gone into these deep rebuilds and never made it out. 
Um, they called up Riley Green to try and you know jumpstart things and, and give the team a little spark. Um, but I'm definitely concerned, given the history, too, of the Detroit Tigers of putting together amazing teams with no success. Um, I'm definitely concerned. But what about you guys? Yeah, I think, you know, Torkelson not doing well. And Baez, that, that trade's looking like our acquisition, that signing this offseason is looking like a disaster. He's hitting, what, like 190-something? He's got a negative war. I mean, I kind of saw that coming from a mile away. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they, they don't have that superstar. I think I think Miggy's their best hitter right now. And he's pretty much, as we know, in the back end of his career, he's got another year left, maybe two. Um, but, yeah, I'd say I'm very concerned. I, I, I don't really see a future for them, even with, you know, Riley Green getting called up. I think that, they're, you know, they're going to have – I think Torkelson's going to bounce back, and I think Green's going to be good. But you need a supporting cast around you that's that's going to pick up the slack when you're not doing well. And I don't see that happening in the years to come. I think they're not – this whole rebuild thing is going to kind of be like the Mets, how they had those frontline starters, the you know, the Harvey, Mats, all those guys that were supposed to lead the team for years to come. Never really panned out. And I think the same is kind of going to happen for the Tigers. Yeah, it's it's tough because there was, what the Tigers were built on was all these young pitchers. and it really hasn't worked out so far because scooble has been their best young arm and he started the year hot and he's kind of fizzled out a little bit, but he's still throwing. Okay. Mai's obviously getting Tommy John, Matt Manning's can't figure it out. And at the major league level, he's looking like an AAA guy right now. Uh, it's just, it's, and they don't really have any other prospects down there besides torque and green. It's not like they have a plethora of guys who are waiting in the wings and you just gave Javier Baez $80 million. It's, it's definitely got to be concerning inside that front office right now. Yeah. I mean, it looks like they're going to have to dip into those deep pockets once again, to make this team competitive and go get their Victor Martinez, go get their Prince fielder uh, that the team is lacking. And, and I, I do have confidence that Spencer Torkelson is going to come around. I do think that Riley Green is going to be a beast. I do hope that Casey Mize comes back strong from Tommy John because he, he was looking pretty good at, towards the start of the year. So um, I, I would like to see them put it together. I, but it, it makes me feel good to see the Orioles be a, a phase ahead of both the Royals and the Tigers uh, in this rebuild thing when we went into it at the same time. Um, so that's it, all we got for quick hits. Jimmy, you got our major league players of the week. Yeah, so for the AL Player of the Week, no surprise, Vlad Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays, 11 hits, 440 average, three home runs, seven RBI, an 840 slugging, and a 1340 OPS. NL Player of the Week, Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals. I think this is his third time getting the award. He's obviously having an MVP-worthy season. 11 hits, 524 average, four home runs, nine RBIs, an 1190 slugging percentage, and a 1774 OPS. My AL pitcher of the week is Robbie Ray of the Mariners. Two games started, a 14-inning pitch um, span over those two starts. Just one earned run, six hits, two walks, and 14 strikeouts. NL pitcher of the week, Carlos Rodon of the Giants. He's really turned it around after, you know, a bad month. Um, two games started, a 2-0 record, 14 innings pitched, no runs, four hits, 16 strikeouts. AL rookie of the week is a new Tigers arm and Bo Bresky. Um, he had a seven inning, no earned run, six strikeout, three hit, two walk game against the Rangers on Thursday. 
and NL Rookie of the Week, who's looking to shoot up those NL Rookie of the Year rankings, is Brendan Donovan of the Cardinals. 14 hits, a 560 average, five doubles, seven RBIs, 760 slug, and a 1381 OPS. I considered having Donovan as my NL Player of the Week, but Goldie had the power numbers to back it up, so I went with Goldie over Donovan. The Cardinals have just pumped out NL Rookie of the Weeks this year. They had two players on the NL Rookie of the Year rankings. They've been pumping out uh, Rookie of the Weeks. They even got the the Player of the Week this week. Um, Big part of why they're a a game over the Brewers right now, leading the Central. Uh, Bradley, our Minor League Players of the Week. Triple A, it is Estri Ruiz. He's a second baseman for the El Paso Chihuahuas. He's 23 years old. He was signed out of the Dominican by the Royals in 2015. And then he was traded to the Padres in 2017 for Trevor Cahill. He's a 29th ranked prospect in their system. This week, he was 12 for 24, scored eight times, homered once, drove in four, and stole eight bags. His, OPS, his on-base percentage was a 618, and his OPS was a 1283. His career high for stolen bases was 49 back in 2018 in 117 games, and he has 46 this year in 59 games, which is kind of crazy. Double A, it was Jeremiah Jackson, MLB the show legend for franchise players. Yep. He's, he's with the Rocket City Trash Pandas. He was a 2018 second-round pick out of high school in Alabama by the Angels. He's the seventh-ranked prospect in their system. He missed some time earlier this year with an oblique strain, but he's come back pretty strong. This week, he was 7 for 18, doubled three times, homered four times, drove in 11. His slugging was a 12.22, and his OPS was a 16.72. High A was Vaughn Grisham. He's a shortstop for the Rome Braves. He's a 2019 11th round pick by the Braves out of high school in Florida, and he was actually teammates with Riley Green at that same high school. He's a sixth-ranked prospect in the Brave system. This week, he was 14 for 22, doubled four times, homered twice, drove in 14, an 11.43 slugging, and 18.25 OPS. On the low-A level, it's going to be Harry Ford. He's a catcher for the Modesto Nuts. He was the 12th overall pick in the 2021 draft out of high school in Georgia, 81st-ranked prospect in baseball third in the Mariner system, and he's kind of enjoying his first stretch of playing really well in pro ball. Uh, he was 10 for 19, scored nine times, tripled three times, homered twice, drove an eight, had an 11.58 slugging, and his OPS was a 17.29. Nice. So before we go to the umpires of the week, we had a chance to talk to last week's double A player of the week from the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. You got to love minor league team names. Uh, And that is Paul McIntosh. Uh, So we're going to let you all take a look at that right now. What's up, everybody? We got Paul McIntosh here with us uh, in the Marlins organization for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos right now. Uh, How are you, man? Thank you for coming on and talking to us. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Fantastic. You guys got a game today? Uh, Yeah, we have another 605 start. Who are you playing? Um... The Tennessee Smokies. Nice, nice. Uh, so you were originally drafted by the, the Angels in the 34th round of the 2018 draft. Uh, went to West Virginia after that. Um, and, and after that, you ended up in the MLB Draft League, um, which was mm-hmm. pretty new at the time. So uh, I'm really curious to hear how that experience was for you um, and, and how vital that was to you inking that contract with the Marlins. 
Um, it was a really cool experience. It's one of those leagues to where they kind of prepare you for professional baseball as far as like travel and like game scheduling and all that stuff goes. So as soon as I finished there, it was nothing really new. Well, how does that compare to, to minor or yeah, to, to now to minor league ball and to before to, to college ball? Was, is it really like an in-between kind of thing or, or was it more like one or the other? It was more geared toward professional baseball as far as the scheduling and all that stuff went. So um, everything as far as, you know, style of play and just scheduling and stuff in general, travel and all that is, you know, completely almost on the same level as professional baseballs. But like, obviously, the competition standpoint isn't the same, but everything else is pretty similar. So I've been to West Virginia a few times, so I want to I want to ask you what your favorite place is to eat on campus. It's a tough one. Um, there's Pita Pit that I really like. Oh. Um, Deepito is really good. Deepito is my choice. Deepito is your choice. All right, we'll yep. go with that one. Then. Deepito is solid. <laughs> but uh, another another one I have for you was you had a few teammates of yours that got uh, drafted, and then you went undrafted and then went to the, the league. And I was wondering what it felt like for you to finally put pen to paper when you signed that deal with the Marlins. Uh, it was a, it was a huge relief, honestly, because after the uh, draft had finished, I wasn't sure if I was going to be playing professional baseball. I thought I was going to be going back to school for another year and then we'll see what happens again after that. So um, seeing those guys drafted was a really cool experience. It was just like, wow, I want to be where those guys are at. And then finally doing it was just a huge relief. So you had the opportunity to play with Alec Manoa at West Virginia in 2019. You both had great years. Uh, did you have the opportunity to catch him? And if so, what was it like? Um, I would catch the Saturday game. So Ivan Gonzalez, he went to the White Sox. He would be doing the majority of the catching. And then I would help him out and then either DH or play the outfield. So I didn't really catch much my first year. Um, that was more of a second, third um, role for me. Um, but, yeah. So, uh, looking at the Marlins starting pitching, they have a lot of young depth in Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers. Does the potential to catch these three great arms motivate you even more to make it to the league? Of course. Um, we have a super young staff, and, you know, they have their aging experience up there as well. Um with Jacob Stallings, Miggy Rowe, um, a bunch of the older veteran guys. Um, be really cool to be a part of what they're trying to build over there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, if you're down, we've got a, a whole list of random questions here. Brad can set a timer for one minute, uh, and we can just go through these questions rapid fire style. Go for it. All right, Brad, let me know when, when you got the timer ready. I'm good. All right. On me? Yep. All right. What's your walk-up song? Desperado by Rihanna. Nice. Go-to fast food spot on the road? Does Chipotle count? Yeah. Yeah, why not? We'll say Chipotle then. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? A lion. Describe your style of play in one word. Gritty. What was your major in college? Sport management. What's your dream car? Oof. 
BMW M5. Boobs or butt? <laughs> but nice uh favorite team growing up uh the boston red sox favorite player growing up jason veritek you got a favorite tv show um there's too many peaky blinders is a really good one for me right now if you could have any superpower what superpower would you have Being able to fly, probably. Last one coming up. All right. Uh, I'm going to make it a two-parter. It's your favorite sport to watch besides baseball. Mm. <laughs> I don't really watch any other sports, uh, okay. really. Okay. Hey, I love that. You're dedicated to the game. Married to the game. I love it. <laughs> All right. That, that wraps up the rapid fire. So, Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today, man. Of course. I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for having me on. Thank yeah. You. And uh, good luck tonight. Get a, get a good piece of one for us. All right. All right. Cool. Huge shout out to Paul for coming on and talking to us. Bradley, take us to our best and worst umpires of the week now. So they both, the, both occurred on Tuesday this past week. Our best umpire this week was Clint Vondack. He did the game in St. Louis with the Pirates in town. Uh, the Cardinals won the game 3-1, to one, and his overall factor for the day was .13 runs for St. Louis. Overall accuracy for the day, 98, 99%. Consistency, 96%. Called ball accuracy, 100%. And his called strike accuracy was 99%. He missed one call all day. Worst umpire of the week was Bill Miller. He did the game Tuesday, like I said, in Detroit. With the White Sox in town. White Sox won five to one. Its overall factor for the day was plus 1.45 runs for the White Sox. Accuracy for the day was 91%. Consistency, 94%. Its called ball accuracy was 95%. And its called strike accuracy was 83%. And if you look at his strike zone, it was there's literally a green circle right in the middle of the plate. It is that is a horrendous. You know, and, and the White Sox and Tigers both need all the help they can get, so they can't afford to be having bad umpire games. Now we're going to go to the top five plays from this week uh, from Owen. Fuck a pigeonhole, I'm a night out, it's a different mode. I'm going to have to make a pen six on a pinky toe. Heard you with a shooting guard, just let a nigga know. I would have you court side, not the middle row. All good love in a minute, though. Bitch, don't tell me that you model if you ain't been involved. Thanks to Owen for that. Now we're heading to Cooper with the MLB colorized photo of the week. Welcome back to photo of the week. This week's photo is of Monty Irvin. Shown here is Monty in his final year of his career with the Cubs in 1956. In his final year, he slashed 271, 346, 460, 
with 50 home runs and 50 RBIs. Irvin's 18-year career consisted mostly in the Negro Leagues, playing 10 seasons for the New York Eagles, hitting 335 with 38 home runs and 244 RBIs. Irvin then played eight years in the Major Leagues, consisting of seven with the Giants and his last with the Cubs. In the Major Leagues, Monty found his power stroke, hitting 99 home runs and driving in 443 RBIs in his eight-year career, while boasting a .293 batting average. Later in life, Irvin would work as a scout for the commissioner's office, further breaking ground and helping baseball become inclusive to all. Thanks, and back to the guys. All right, time for our power and sour rankings. Big shakeups on the power rankings this week. Uh, we thought that there was a big shakeup last week, but things have gotten crazy atop the powers. But we're starting on the sour rankings. At number five, the Brewers, after a 3-7 and seven skid, um, they've surrendered first place to the Cardinals. They're coming in at number five. We just talked about the Tigers and, and all that they've got going against them right now. Tigers come in at number four. Pirates at number three after losing nine out of ten. The Cubs also lost nine out of ten, but they're one spot above the Pirates in the division, so they get, they get a nudge there. Um, and the Angels, on the number one spot still, the Angels are just falling apart. Uh, they almost got no hit uh, after the, the losing skid, after the manager firing. Uh, the Angels have really kind of cemented themselves into that number one sour ranking spot now. Heading over to the power rankings, number five is the Houston Astros. Moving up a spot to number four is the San Diego Padres, also moving up a spot in the division, taking over first place. Um, they might have taken over first place, but it's not enough to overtake the Dodgers just yet in the power rankings. The Dodgers come in at number three. At number two, New York, New York, and the, the one and two spots there, at which order? Number two is the, the Mets, and number one is the New York Yankees. Real quick, Jimmy, how does it feel to, to be number two in the power rankings now? I feel good. You know, it's well-deserved. They split the road trip 500, you know, and I'm confident that they're going to keep that two spot. And those power rankings are presented by Fit and Faded. Uh, you can head to fit-faded.com and use code bullpen for 15% off your order. They got athleisure wear, CBD products, protein, anything that you need for A, your workout, and B, to promote cannabis as a dietary and fitness supplement. That's going to wrap it up for this week's Call to the Bullpen. Uh, you can find us on social media at ctbppod. Uh, we're going to have another giveaway coming up soon. Uh, we're going to have a, a big thing going on this next week, which is going to be the Baseball Bachelor, one representative from each team uh, deciding who is the most handsome man in baseball and therefore the Baseball Bachelor. Uh, so keep an eye out for that at ctbppod. Uh, you can find us at the David Payne, at Brad Zampar, at Jimmy underscore Miller 4, and we'll catch you all next week. Thank you.